Historic Cosmic Potato Studios, welcome to That Star Trek Podcast. This is your place for detailed analysis and speculation of all things Trek. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome back, everyone, to another episode of That Star Trek Podcast, your one-stop pod for discussions, reviews, examinations, and speculations on all things Trek. We have no new Trek to discuss this episode, clearly. Ain't nothing coming out. But it's been too long, and we want to make sure that you guys know that we're still around and we're still kicking. So we have cooked up a few fun topics to discuss in the Trekverse with this my august yet pared down panel not necessarily not exactly a full house as we sometimes have uh, let's go around the table and we're going to introduce everyone that we have joining us today we have as always rick how are you best of all joy to you friends joy to you you'll be strangers come for the festival eh yeah yes got a place to sleep it off yet indeed indeed festival spoilers um, joining us as well, we have regular panelist Neek. How's things? Eldor Joy, Scott. Tezra. Peldor. Impatre. Bren. Bentel. Vetan. Ulan. Sten. Peldor Joy, Neek. And joining us as well, special guest once again from the Quantum Leap podcast, we have Christopher D. Philippus. How's it going? I am not of the body. You're not of the body! <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many people subscribe to this show and download and listen just for the panelist intros. I'm guessing... Zero? Yeah. <laughs> I hope, for their sake. <laughs> Most likely correct. Uh, today, we are, um, in all likelihood, going to be discussing two topics. Knowing us, there is a possibility that we'll start one topic, and it will become a 90-minute conversation that must be cut down to a one-hour podcast. You never know. Uh, we are going to start off with a topic that Rick suggested uh, just earlier today, um, springing from, a, I, I think, a previous conversation that we've all had uh, offline regarding... Uh, whether or not Christmas is still a thing in Star Trek's 24th century. Oh, okay. Um, it's like, we just finished a very... <laughs> the, Christmas wait, was, is very much a thing. <laughs> was, was, there, was there a holiday recently? <laughs> I don't... I, what? Um... So we, we discussed whether or not Christmas still exists in the 24th century, and that spread to the question, what kind of holidays and festivals are celebrated 
in the Star Trek universe. And Rick was able to track down a list. So uh, we'll start with uh, kind of an appetizer with this topic. Um, and Rick, I'm going to throw it to you because uh, you were the one that came up with the, the seed for this idea and you found the list. So, uh, you know, take it away and stuff. Might even call it a space seed if you want. We offered the world order. I would not want. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I was thinking about this. uh, I've been thinking about this off and on for for years because every every Christmas. uh, You're not the first to tell me that. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Um, host of For All Mankind podcast. Um. So every every time we get to Christmas time and we start putting up the decorations, once I get over the I really don't want to deal with this shit, but I have a kid, so we gotta. Uh, <laughs> um, I start thinking about how, as as a Star Trek fan, we see occasionally there weren't as many as I thought there were um, holiday celebrations from other planets, and I always think about the the you know we put up a tree, we put up ornaments we put up lights and everybody does it for the most part i mean there's i'm sure there's there are plenty of people who don't celebrate christmas uh who aren't don't participate uh but just in general in the u.s there there is a a a majority of people do it and i always kind of think of it from the point of view of of you know starfleet officers beaming down to this planet and seeing all of this stuff and how would they interpret it or how would aliens I mean, like you know, you you bring a tree indoors. Why they there are plenty of them outside, and you know, I just it it's in. I think it's interesting to try to step back from what is quote unquote normal to us or usual, uh, and try to look at it from an outsider standpoint. And Star Trek didn't do it often, especially not as often as I thought it was when I, <laughs> that's why I considered this as a topic. Um, but they do do it from time to time. Um, I think the first mention. And of course, we're talking 1966 and white bread American television uh, of the 60s. Of course, the Enterprise had a Christmas party, and that's where uh, Kirk met Dr. Helen Noel. Um, now, bit of bit of trivia that was supposed to be Janice Rand, but they had shit canned that character before they got to that filming that episode, so they had to kind of rewrite the character real fast. I never knew that. Yeah, that was supposed wow. to be Janice, but. Instead, the person that he meets at the Christmas party is Dr. Helen Noel. Don't you remember the science lab Christmas party? Yes, I remember. You dropped yes, in? Yes, yes, I remember. Uh, and then Dagger of the Mind ensues. Uh, and we see a little bit of the Christmas party, but we don't see any decoration. We just see Kurt carrying her back to his quarters uh, in a flashback. But uh, then, then we get... Uh, in the episode Return of the Archons, uh, we get Festival, which is hmm? not Return of the Archons. No, 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 no. Um, oh. Are we? Are I might be jumping the gun. Didn't we also have an entire discussion about Thanksgiving and making the fake oh, meat look like turkeys? You're right. You're right. And that was uh, that was that and was, Roddenberry was the voice of the cook. Right. That was Charlie X. Kirk here. Sir, I put meatloaf in the ovens. There's turkeys in there now. Real turkeys. 
Yes. And that's yes. what? Episode two. Episode two. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so Thanksgiving still exists in some form or another in, uh, in, but again, we don't see anything. We just hear all the Turk, all the, all the, the, the fake turkeys are now real turkeys. Yes. <laughs> oh, Charlie's good that way. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but the first time I think we see a celebration, if you can call it that, is in in Return of the Archons, the planet that is run by the computer Landrew. And one night a year, the computer releases all of the inhabitants to in, – because in, they're all under control of the computer. And so it's like – uh, are, hmm? are you sure it's one night a year? It seemed to me like it was every night. No, it was one night. One night a year. Festival. Yeah, that's the introduction of The Purge. Hence that whole franchise. Oh, I haven't seen The Purge, so... The Purge could have been formerly in Star Trek, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I always thought that the Red Hour occurred, like, every night. No, I had the same interpretation, that it's once a year. It's once a year. Just why festival takes place, or how frequently it occurs, is never made entirely clear. However, in his write-up of the episode in Star Trek IX... James Blish describes Rager telling Tula as he consoles her during the aftermath. It's over for another year. Well, then they were lucky they landed that night, or maybe not so lucky. Well, that's Star Trek. You know, they're also the only ship in the quadrant, right? (laughs) (laughs) We have one holiday on this planet. You had to ruin it, Kirk. (laughs) At at least with the naked time, you know, they 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 went to that star specifically at the point in time when it was about to explode, so that, you know... There wasn't a, a odd coincidence there, but Star Trek was full of the Enterprise being at the wrong place at the right time over and over and over again. <laughs> but also remember that, uh, well, uh, Sulu and uh, an unnamed red shirt, well, he got a name, but uh, were on the planet before the uh, before the festival started and they got absorbed and became part of the body. And anyway, I digress. <laughs> So, well, the, the festival was obviously like a stand-in for Bacchanalia. It was like a New Year's celebration mm-hmm. of old. So, yeah, and they and they even say, or the the uh, Landrew says, Spock speculates, and Landrew confirms that the uh, the whole purpose of the festival is to release all of the pent-up emotions that the pastoral com- controlled population subconsciously develops over the over the year. And then there's this pressure release when all things are legal, but it, legal isn't really the right word. It's just permitted. Per, yeah. Or not stopped, I guess, is a better word. Mm. It's funny because that's like the, the myth of you can catch up on sleep. I think that if right. you're emotionally repressed, you can't just get it all out in one night and be okay. It's, <laughs> well, it's, this is, it's such a 60s idea. Yeah, I was going to say, this is 1966 <laughs> pop psychology. So. Yeah. Maybe Chris is right. Maybe it is every night. I, I'm reading the synopsis here. Neek, d- come to my s- aid. Help me, Spock! Yeah, it doesn't say anything about it. I mean, we'd have to rewatch the entire episode to be sure. But it doesn't say anything here about it being once a year. So that may be us conflating it with those movies, The Purge. Yeah, I mean, to me, so, the Red Hour seemed like a, a daily event. Yeah, the fact that it's called the Red Hour does right. imply not, daily. It's not the Red Day or the Red, the Red, the Red, uh, whatever. It, it's the hour. So I feel like every night at six, it's like, okay, get your rape on. Because that's basically what it was. 
Yeah, I think you're right. Anyway, carry on. Uh, okay, well. All right, now I'm going to look. I'm, I'm looking at the transcript. I'm going to look at Memory Alpha, see what they... Did you look at Memory Alpha, Nick? That's what I'm looking at, yeah. Uh, okay, then I don't need to do it. Thank you. I can't imagine... A, uh. I'm just going to sit back and let everyone else figure it out. The perks yeah. of being the host. <laughs> it doesn't... It, That's I not the really way hosting say. works, Scott. <laughs> I don't think it says, but I, I, I can't... I, I, I mean, I'm willing to entertain the idea that I've been wrong for 50 years about this episode. <laughs> I always assumed it was a daily event or a nightly event. You always assumed that it was a yearly thing. event, so yeah. maybe we're both right. I mean, if it's not hard and fast, then it's what you want it to be. True. Yeah, true. I think you can interpret it however you want. Okay. Well, because they say you're in town for the festival when, when they're, they're... Oh, do uh, they? When do they say that? Hang on. Hang on. Um, but, but to me, they're obviously controlled by a computer. So maybe the festival is every night or maybe, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know. I just always saw that as a regular occurrence on that on that planet, which uh, always confused me because then how were things so orderly the next morning? How, you know, do they have cleanup crews coming in before everybody wakes up? Is it like New Orleans with the street sweepers or? Okay, a guy named Blair comes up to Kirk and Spock and uh, joy to you, friends. Kirk says joy to you. You be strangers. Come for the festival, are you? Yes. Got a place to sleep it off yet. Go round to Rhaegar's house. He's got rooms, but you'll have to hurry. It's almost the red hour. This festival, it starts at six o'clock. Tula, these folks come for the festival. Your daddy can put them up, can't he? You're from the valley. We just arrived. My father will be glad to put you up, though. It's right over there. The clock, the clock strikes the hour and everybody shouts and goes wild. Clothing gets loosened. Women are carried away by men. There are shouts and screams everywhere. I mean, that yeah. sounds to me like they're not, you know, if it's a nightly thing, no one's going to travel to a different town to, to, to do it. Granted, I'm, uh, I'm inferring. I thought it was a lot more explicit than that. Yeah, I mean, to me, it was almost like the Farscape episode. Uh, what was it? Uh, Thank God it's Friday again. Like tonight we party, uh, we work now, but tonight, tonight we party and, you know, whatever. If you've, if you've seen that episode, it's a first season episode of Farscape. But it's almost like we have this this bacchanal so that in the morning, uh, it seems like you will, uh, you know, you've just had a, a, a rest or whatever. I don't know. I don't know. It, it just seemed to me that it was always implicitly implied that it was a daily occurrence. I could be wrong. And, 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 and I have I, 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 I think the dialogue lends itself to either way. I never considered it the other way. And we've, I've never had this discussion with anyone. So an interesting uh, viewpoint. We like and, celebrating firsts on this show. So, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> so, OK, but that doesn't have any particular trappings or anything. That's just that's uh, just the purge. Like, 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 uh, Neek said. So what's, uh, what have we got? We've got, uh, Ancestor's Eve, which was something Neelix made up. Um, April Fool's Day, Christmas, first contact day. But again, there was no, well, first contact day wasn't anything more than just something that was mentioned until card season three. And then it became a big celebration that got posed by no, I won't spoil, but... Um. <laughs> <laughs> but it was... We're on a Star Trek podcast. You can spoil Star Trek. That's true. <laughs> yeah. That's true. 
they got they got screwed over by the Borg, and uh, it, it seemed to me in the third season of Picard that while First Contact Day, you know, yes, it is an important day. It, to to me, it felt like it's not something that people like really celebrate or have a big to do over. Um, except for the fact that this was like you know one of the it, it was a landmark number. What was it like? Are they saying three hundred years? Sure, why not? <laughs> I, I, I think I think that it was like a a nice, impressive round number anniversary. It wasn't like just an oddball number. Hey, it's first contact day, two hundred and forty-seven. Got to work forty-seven in there. So we'll have a great big uh, fleet presentation. I think it was. This one is an important one, so we'll have a celebration. It was actually the 250th Frontier Day celebration. Uh, uh, yeah, that, and that that's fine. Um, but again, we didn't see any preparation for it other than you know mi- military stuff. Yeah, we're gonna do we're gonna do a, a special ship formation and and fireworks, quantum fireworks, or whatever the heck they call. Them. Nah, whatever. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the only real celebration that we saw other than variations on earth themes, because yeah, we, we have talked many times about whether Christmas still exists and it certainly existed in, in TOS times. And then we have Picard's Nexus fantasy of a Dickensian Christmas. Mm -hmm. I always took that as genuine. Like, I, I feel like that's how they celebrate it. I don't know if that was a fan. I know that he was in the Nexus and it was everything that he had ever hoped and dreamed for. But I felt like that was based in reality as much as Kirk with his horse and yeah. uh, Ant- Antonia was. Yeah. The horse wasn't Antonia. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we didn't see her, so we don't know. <laughs> You're assuming. You're assuming a lot about right, the I... Red Hour and <laughs> Antonia. <laughs> Um, I, I, you, okay, okay, yes. I, the the way I phrased that, perhaps, was a little dismissive. Um, maybe that was Christmas of Picard's childhood. Maybe in Loire, and, and I have no idea if I pronounced that even close to right. Uh, oh, so his, his, apologies. His, I wonder if we have anyone town? that speaks French on the panel. <laughs> <laughs> I'm French. Why do you think I have this outrageous accent? You, yeah, that. You, <laughs> is that how you say it? Noir? Yeah. Not how he says it. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Patrick Stewart can't speak French, guys. That, that, that's what threw me off, is that he always said Labar. And even um, uh, Gul Madrid in Chain of Command said Labar. Well, we don't know. Oh, Labar? Cardassians to. I mean, yeah, it's. I'm just going by what you said. I'll look that up too. Oh, she she was just oh. parroting Rick. No, I the 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 hometown for uh, Jean Luc Picard, where he is from, is Labar, France. Oh, I thought it was I thought it was a W. Nope, L A B A R E. I thought Labar was a was a pop up that was uh, you know challenging ten forward for all the drinkers <laughs> on the Enterprise. <laughs> no, wasn't that the French dude in Hogan's Heroes? <laughs> Are we playing John's game now? <laughs> Mistakes on purpose, yeah. As I wrap up most years, dazed, confused, and honored that you chose to listen to another episode of Captain Game Show. You're right that it's La Bar. Oh, okay. Um, Liter- and- literally means the bar. 
<laughs> a good place for a, for a winery. Well, not bars <laughs> and where you drink, bars and where you do ballet. Oh. Ooh. Okay. It's a whole different connotation. <laughs> <laughs> well, he and Robert did dance a bit in the mud. Um. <laughs> and uh, speaking of uh, Christmas, uh, especially in the Nexus, um, the, the way that they have always presented Picard, what they've said about his, about his family, that type of Christmas uh, d- did seem very much in line with, you know, if, if people are still ce- celebrating Christmas, what he saw in the Nexus seemed in line with what he would have seen as a child. That was probably very similar to how he celebrated uh, when he was still at home and the family was all together. Beautiful, stuffy, no fun. With I mean, somebody... that, looked, that looked pretty fun to me, but maybe we have different ideas. I, also, <laughs> I have no children, and my fantasy children, my fantasy children also come up to me, call me papa, and they're very <laughs> respectful and clean. <laughs> so, I might be right in Picard's wheelhouse on that because it is total fantasy. <laughs> Every child carefully unwraps right, the paper right. and then folds no. it neatly, <laughs> and they're so grateful for whatever they get. Oh, papa, socks! Thank you, papa. <laughs> I, I, I suspect. An orange. Thank you, mother. <laughs> oh, oh! I got an orange and a penny. I must be Laura Ingalls Wilder. Thank you, Papa. <laughs> I suspect that that Christmas would be much less comfortable for anyone that would have to wear the type of dress that Picard's fantasy Nexus wife was wearing, with the long sleeves and the what I assume had to be a corset and the very high neck. It just it did not look like a comfortable celebratory outfit. Try it before you judge. Maybe it's more comfortable than you think. (laughs) I've never worn a corset, but I have worn a breastplate. And, you know, there is something to be said for that that upper body support. Yeah. 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 The corset doesn't have to be a binding garment. It could be a supportive garment. (laughs) We're learning a whole bunch tonight. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Lessons abound on that Star Trek podcast. <laughs> so the other, the only other thing that I could find that we actually saw on screen uh, was the the uh, Bajoran Festival of Gratitude, and people were putting shit all over the promenade. But I can't, for the life of me, remember what it was. But I know it they was, were putting up decorations and stuff. I, I think it was just called Peldor. It was the Gratitude Festival. Yeah. Do you get and, to eat, eat all the gym sticks during no, I'm that, asking. They were, they were putting up decorations for it, and I can't remember what they were. Oh, what the decorations were? Yeah. Ah, just, just generic chintzy. Yeah. <laughs> Glittery decorations. Dedicated stuff to with, the profits, no doubt. Yeah, stuff with shiny material that they would that they would put up. You know, the material that they would put on the backside of towels on the Enterprise. With that shimmery, <laughs> that shimmery re- reflection, and then they uh, they make a fire. They make a big fire in the middle of the promenade, and people write down. I I think it was all all their regrets. I think they would write on a little scroll. Yeah, and then throw the, it in the, in the, the fire. renewal scroll, and then yeah. they throw it into the fire. I have the honor of placing the first renewal scroll into the fire. As the scrolls burn, may our troubles turn to ashes with them.
there? No, that was Ferengi. There was some some sort of hand gesture they did to each other. Uh, well, yes, they do a hand thing. So I'm looking at a banner right now, and it's two hands like this with like a circle above it. And so this is the implication is that they're being grateful. Okay. And they burned batteret leaves, and participants wrote their problems on renewal renewal scrolls that were burned so that their troubles turned to ashes. Mm. That's nice. I like that. I might implement yeah. that in this house this year. I've right, done the fire in the living room. <laughs> I was going to say, well, I, I, I can do that. I have a fireplace. <laughs> I'm up yeah, north. It, <laughs> as do I. Um, and uh, oddly enough, uh, putting uh, putting your regrets together and and burning them as a way to try to let them go, that I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people do that for a lot of different reasons. I'm familiar with that as an aspect of paganism that that used to be used in like certain uh certain yes magic spells people still do that um certain spells designed to uh you know separate separate you from from that which troubles you hmm. it's also a good way to destroy evidence <laughs> i mean um Odo was like beside himself that entire time <laughs> <He's just> like, <laughs> what is getting lost here how many of these freeze. renewal scrolls have evidence? <laughs> so anyway, yeah, just the, the the whole thing is is just I like to think about our our cultural celebrations and the accoutrement that go with them. I try to like step back from it every now and then and think about it from a Star Trek pers- perspective mm. of you know someone visiting this planet, what would they think of it? I like to think that something like a year-end festival as Christmas has appropriated, um, bringing yeah. greenery inside. I feel like darkness would be a universal language for anybody that is a terrestrial of any planet. So there is always going to be a dark time of year where you want to stave off death and to celebrate rebirth and light. And I feel like that might be the one holiday, Earth holiday, that would translate fairly universally unless you know we're with people that live on a generation ship or something mm. other than that i don't know i mean I, I honestly uh first contact day or federation day it's basically the fourth of july so yeah. i mean so that could also have applications to other cultures it just wouldn't be the same day but it would be the same idea and we shouldn't forget the klingon Cote uh, Baval Festival. I was going to mention as, that, as presented in in TNG, it's essentially a Renaissance fair. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 I, the reason I didn't bring it up, along with all all of the others in the list, is that they mention them, but there's no there there other than Klingons fighting with Batleths, which you don't really need a specific day of the week for that to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, there wasn't much to it other than just, you know, a couple of Klingons pretending to fight for a change instead of actually trying to kill each other. Klingons do love LARPing. <laughs> they do. <laughs> Gah! Answer me, you worm! Experience, bish. Baldokolota. Although I, I did. That's one aspect of that episode that I did enjoy when they were 
showing the festival and you have those two essentially reenactors mm-hmm. uh, in in the center and they are performing that that fight and it's you know, very clearly a representative like a dance it uh, reminded they're, me of kabuki they're, they're not making yeah yeah they're, they're not making contact with the weapons um it's clearly it's rehearsed and i something about that i just enjoyed it's like oh they're, they're it's not klingons just being klingons they're essentially they're dancing and you know i hadn't thought of it before but that that's an excellent point it is very much like kabuki theater and i like i enjoyed how it was portrayed and at the same time they have a child come in but they're still ready to actually you know engage you know the weapons contacting, not assuming that the kids are going to know how to perform this dance the same way. They're just having a, a small little sparring match with a child, and they know they're not in trouble, or not in danger. And they play it up, they play getting getting injured, and then you're on to the next one. It was a nice, wholesome portrayal that we don't often see from Klingons. I did enjoy that aspect. Then we got into, you know, wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey, uh, old James Sloy and Alexander coming back in time. It is just ridiculous. It's an Alexander episode, so. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Wow. Some Alexander shade. Not the the boy's fault. Not the boy's fault. Not not his fault. And the one time we've seen this many times in in TNG. Jordy gets snacky. And this one time he died. Go, go. Do a rewatch of, of TNG and just if anyone's eating food, just pay attention. Jordy's always going to be snacking on something. There was a, a meeting of the senior staff in Picard's quarters to discuss a particular thing. And he Picard had like candies or mints out or something. And, and Jordy was eating those. He's, I'm, I'm in the middle of my uh, my first watch of TNG and I haven't noticed that yet. Now I'm not going to be able to unsee it. Yeah, you'll notice every time that Jordy is munching on something, you're going to see it. Except for this episode where Worf offers him gach from a bag and Jordy is like, nah. <laughs> bag of gach. <laughs> I've always wanted to have a, a party or, you know, uh, considering our topic right here, a, a festival at my place, just for some reason, maybe a birthday, and arrange to have a bunch of Star Trek uh, food items prepared. Once upon a time, I, I actually I dated someone who was willing to put in the effort to replicate a rocake blood pie, which is not a dessert. <laughs> <laughs> you got to go to the store or or like a butcher shop and get the pig's blood to make blood pie. I it's real it's like a, it's like a blood pudding. Yeah. Which is I delicious. Think so. so, yeah, when you do that invite me, I'll I'll totally be down <laughs> with that. Please and thank you. So d- does that about do it Rick for the I think for the so, holidays? Yeah, I I Um there's also Frontier Day, which was commemorating the anniversary of the NX01's maiden voyage. Oh, I like that. Oh, that's a good segue, Neek. <laughs> Yeah. In, in, indeed it is. <laughs> totally meant it that way. <laughs> uh, it, it works very well because the... Uh, does does the, everybody wear like Davy Crockett hats and phaser rifles? They do now. <laughs> they wear NX-01 baseball hats and phaser rifles. <laughs> yeah. They play water polo. Ba- phaser muskets. <laughs> <laughs> So, speaking of Enterprise. It's been a long, long 
That brings us to the second topic for uh, this podcast, where we are going to discuss storylines that were never produced for Star Trek Enterprise, um, primarily story ideas that they had intended to work into season five had they been renewed. But uh, there were a few, a few story ideas that I came across uh, from that had been discussed for earlier in the series that that just never came to be. Um, one of them, I absolutely want Rick to hear, and he did have to step away from the mic, so I'm going mm-hmm. to vamp by talking about some others. Uh, one that I thought was interesting, Meek, you'll, you, you might like this one. Uh, as our resident Voyager expert on the panel, in the series finale of Voyager, there was a Klingon uh, known as Korath. A Cardassian disruptor. I've modified it to emit a Nadion pulse. Impressive. Who had a time travel device. And Janeway took the time travel device from him and used that to travel back in time. The actor who played Korath, Vaughn Armstrong, who also played Admiral Forrest and many, many other characters in Star Trek. Actually played more than Jeffrey Combs did. mm, Had pitched an idea, a story idea for Enterprise, where that Klingon, Korath, would have retrieved his time travel device from Janeway and used it to travel back in time to attempt to stop the launch of the NXL-1. And uh, he he did joke that uh, he plugged the idea because the overtime would be great as he would be playing Admiral Forrest and Korath. Um, but uh, it, it did not come to be. And now that Rick is back, I can jump into the one that I actually wanted to talk about. Um, I didn't want to give it away earlier, but uh, Chris did mention this uh, before we started. There was originally discussed for the fourth season a potential two-part episode uh, written with a role for William Shatner. And uh, according to this section of Memory Alpha that I had read, um, they had worked with... or He and the production staff had worked with Judith and Garfield Reeves-Stevens to come up with an idea for the show. And uh, what they had come up with was to retcon that the Tantalus field as seen in uh, Mirror Mirror how many enemies have you simply wiped out of existence by the touch of a button? Fifty? A hundred? Did not disintegrate people, but instead sent them back in time to a sealed penal colony. In this story, the NX-01 would, uh, would happen upon this colony, and they would find the mirror version of Kirk, Tiberius, there. And once... Tiberius realizes that there's a ship with a transporter. He can use that to get back to his own universe in his own time. And he tries to do so, but he can't because the mirror universe has not been created in the time of Enterprise. So throughout the course of this two-part episode, it would be revealed that the diversion point that created the mirror universe was created by Archer and Tiberius together. Wow, I hate that idea. I hate, hate, (laughs) hate. Flame, flames. Flames on the side of my face. Okay, so we, we've got some opinions. Um, let's, uh, uh, Chris, why do you hate this so much? Why does the mirror universe need a creation? 
it's a separate parallel universe that exists on its own. It doesn't need to be branched off from the original series timeline. Uh, if you take Sean's reckoning from the first contact timeline, I, I think that it's ridiculous that they needed to shoehorn Shatner in some way to accommodate his aging and also retcon one of the best parts of the original series because we've all talked about how good the mirror, the mirror universe was until it got overused. And it was a wonderful way to sort of take the characters out of the comfort zone that you knew them in and to put them into a different place with different ideas and, and to just shake things up, which is always good. But then it got overused and it's increasingly ludicrous that it would even parallel our reality because everybody's dying every four seconds. <laughs> so the fact that we need to have a branch off point, how does that work? Like, so Archer and Tiberius creates the mirror universe. How I, I, that's one thing I can't figure out. And then how do they go from the NX one to basically young Kirk in the mirror universe? I, I, I mean, I get it with the time travel shenanigans and everything, but it just strains credulity. More than the mirror universe already strains credulity. <laughs> yeah. the, the whole idea that there was a branching point, as far as I know, as far as I've, I've heard as a member of fandom, didn't exist until after the JJ-verse happened. And then people were just, just seemed to be assuming that the mirror universe was similar to the JJ-verse and that it was a branch of the prime universe that something created this branch off where that was never a, a, a discussion before. Yeah. I mean, I mean be- I'm, I'm not a big fan of the mirror universe anyway. I, you know, mirror mirror was great from the standpoint of the fact that TOS was basically an anthology show with a, with the same cast every week. Mirror mirror was a, a very interesting science fiction short story that really didn't work if you thought about it too hard but it was a great episode it was fun it gave us you know it was like kind of you know the naked time where the characters we know get to to the actors get to be a little different with their characters um but i was so glad that tng never went to the went to the mirror universe and then ds9 just made it utterly ludicrous uh discovery i wasn't thrilled but they did a good job with it mm. and they, eh. <laughs> they, they they tried to handle it in 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 a, a reasonable and compelling way uh, compared to ds9 who you know they tried to do a, a a decent mirror episode and the first one went fine by the time we got to season seven of ds9 the mirror universe was self-parody hmm. and then i have yeah i loved through a mirror darkly and and in its sequel i, I we're Anyway, I loved the Enterprise Mirror Universe episodes because uh, it was a two-parter. I just yeah. enjoyed it. Uh, and by that point, I was so over trying to wrap my head around making it, making logical sense out of, they're all the same people, they're all the same hardware, but it's all completely different. And it, it doesn't make a, a lick of sense. But for the most part, I enjoyed Through a Mirror Darkly. Yeah. I did um, as well. Which, and that was the the result of their Shat, <clears throat> excuse me, their Shatner ideas falling through. But 
still wanting to do something in the mirror universe. So they came up with that story. Um, I think I, I think I liked it because it had no connection to the prime universe other than the Defiant. Yeah, I like that too. And yeah. I love Scott Bakula in the green wraparound tunic. <laughs> I'm very surprised that's where you went with that. <laughs> Are you? <laughs> no. no, we're not. Yes, no. I because Linda Park in the uh, in the belly shirt also. Open a channel to Fleet Admiral Gardner. Channel open. This is the Starship Defiant. If you don't surrender immediately, we'll begin targeting your cities. Respond. Where's Archer? Who the hell are you? You're speaking with Empress Sato. To receive instructions. You're right. <laughs> the, the other idea they had, and after this, we'll, we'll move on to season five. The other uh, potential story idea they had to work in William Shatner was instead of using the mirror universe, they would cast Shatner as the the always unseen chef on the Enterprise. Yeah, your cat is I right. agree, Athena. <laughs> yeah. um, Athena, not Athena. Zena. Athena's the dog upstairs. And uh, the, the storyline would go that um, James T. Kirk, the, the you know prime James T. Kirk from the 23rd century that we know, has been kidnapped by temporal agents, and Daniels sends Archer and Chef to the 23rd century because Chef is an ancestor of Kirk, and he would have to masquerade as Kirk in order to fix the timeline with whatever the temporal agents had done. And that, because you always look like your distant relatives. <laughs> yes, always. Exactly like I'm him. sure if exactly I went like to him. Ireland in, you know, 1902, I could be my great grandfather because that's just how it works. Yeah, well, the, just the, the, the soon DNA is really strong. Yeah. <laughs> Even even with the bad makeup, you you, you can't get past it. <laughs> so with uh, uh, with no amount of shock, um, Shatner wanted the uh, the mirror universe idea because he helped to come up with it along with the Reeve Stevenses. Uh, but they uh, he and they and Paramount just could not come to an agreement, so the whole uh, Kirk story was dropped, and they ended up still going ahead and making. Uh, a two-part mirror episode on their own. And when you say they couldn't come to an agreement, that means that they wouldn't pay Shatner what he was asking. I'm I'm fairly certain yeah. that that's probably what it was. So, as far as season five of Enterprise goes, um, we're going to have a, a lot of names floating around for people that were coming up with story ideas. Um, uh, most prominently, we're going to be hearing about Brandon Braga, Rick Berman, and Manny Cotto. Um, two of the story ideas that were pitched for season five um, according to Manny, were um, an arc that would explore the, the origins of the Federation, which we got some of that in uh, in Season 4. Uh, we, we're starting to get hints of it near the end of the season, and then the series finale, it did a time jump to the signing of the Charter, so that is the beginning of the Federation. They would have delved into some more details of that in Season 5 as well as um, as it's written in this article, uh, quote, whispers of the Romulan war uh, with the Romulans being the uh, the primary antagonists throughout the fifth season. 
I'm kind of uh, glad that didn't happen, and I hope nobody goes back to it. Only because, unless they're gonna, you know, which we've we've seen plenty of of cannon busting, um, but it was made very clear in Balance of Terror that no Federation member had seen a Romulan until that episode. As you may recall from your histories, this conflict was fought by our standards today with primitive atomic weapons and in primitive space vessels, which allowed no quarter, no captives. Nor was there even ship-to-ship visual communication. Therefore, no human, Romulan, or ally has ever seen the other. But there's still a lot to be mined there. In fact, I would have really liked to see maybe like a two-parter where the entire thing is just on a Romulan ship and we see everything from their point of view. That'd be cool. And they never actually, you know, encounter the humans face-to-face. But it's all about them interpreting like, oh, what's this ship about? And what's going on over here? And what's this Federation we're hearing rumblings about? That would have been pretty cool. So yeah, that yeah. Now, now I actually wish they had there had been a, a fifth season of that god awful show. Stop it. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, I thought I, I did take notice of the fact that in in the fourth season, I can't remember if it was a two or three episode arc with uh, with the the Romulans and that uh, camouflage ship. Yeah, it was basically a hollow ship. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's um, when they introduced the Anar. Mm-hmm, yep. Yep. Also correct. Um, but they did take care to make sure that the entire thing was done at a distance. Mm-hmm. The, the, uh, the possibility of humans seeing Romulans did, wasn't even on the table. Because we could see from the end of that... Uh, of that arc that the Romulans had, had never left Romulus. But they did encounter a bird of prey at one point, I think in the first or second season, there was an episode where they came across a bird of prey that was cloaked and then uncloaked. And so the Romulans were this, this mysterious presence in, um, in the series. Uh, an in episode of, of enterprise. Yeah. Or? Yeah. They came across a bird of prey. Yeah. And that, and that's fine because even yeah. in balance, but you terror, didn't see they recognize the ship. Yeah. They recognized the the bird of prey painting the and they had seen their ships. They just never saw. But you know, it, it could be something as simple as even though we have visual communication for us, our version of Zoom in the Federation or pre Federation at that point is not compatible with their version of Zoom. Yeah, it's, and it's almost like you know having oh you go to DS nine and like why can't the Federation use this station? Well, if you have twenty seven gauge guns and twenty five inch shells, you're not going to be able to make them work you have to put everything it's just it's completely foreign alien technology so i can see where even if they do have established visual communication on enterprise they still maybe can't talk to the romulans that way and the romulans being the romulans very secretive very you know very cagey yeah they would like it that way so i i could recon that all day long no, there's no need to. I mean, Spock even says all of the negotiations were done via radio, not even sub. Uh, did he did he say radio or subspace? Either way, know. it was all. I like to think it's... they said radio. <laughs> I think he said radio. I think it was the treaty set by subspace radio established this neutral zone, entry into which by either side would constitute an act of war. Yeah. Uh, another thing that was bandied about was the the enigmatic and seldom seen future guy as he was referred to from enterprise the 
the the shadowy figure in the temporal cold war um while a lot of people including a lot of you listeners i'm sure uh have read over the years that um there was a plan to reveal future guy as uh, an older archer who is traveling back to put his younger self on on the right to, to help him set right what once went wrong um, there was this there was discussion of future guy being revealed as a romulan um and uh, another thing uh, this is like g- general plans for season five there was also a lot of discussion of likely uh bringing shran into the main cast and making him an uh either an auxiliary crew member or an advisor on enterprise all I want is that. if if they had done Archer as future guy, if they would have put him in the John Beckett makeup as his father from <laughs> Quantum Leap, that would have been <laughs> perfect. <laughs> and or have future guy wear a Fermi suit. And Scott Bakula as his future guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. So another, yeah, I would have loved that. I would have loved that. And yeah, bringing Jeffrey into the main cast, I, you know what? I've, I've thought of that, and I like the fact that Shran was the kind of recurring character that showed up every once in a while, and you never had a chance to get sick of him. And I feel like Jeffrey did great with what they gave him, but had Shran been someone that was on the ship the whole time, it could have been very one note. He could have been the next wharf. And I'm glad that he wasn't relegated to that because I think that it allowed when when Shran came, it was an event. And as a result, the character renamed remained dynamic to us. Mm -hmm. And I I don't I don't know if like a recurring like a like a weekly role would have done him justice unless they had the balls to do some kind of sprawling arc like a DS9 type thing. I would say this. I, I would have liked to have seen the evolution of the Andorians as a race as much as the Vulcans and the Klingons because I was reading the relaunch series of DS9 novels and there was an Andorian character in those novels and it was the most god-awful boring shit I had ever read in a long time in a Star Trek novel and I, I feel like Enterprise took it in such a different and more exciting direction than those novels did maybe because the character was also just morose and it was just, it was always a chore oh we're with this guy again all right but um I, I i think that that's the one thing i would have enjoyed about that if they would do something like they did with Worf in season three and all of a sudden the klingons become this thing and you get the council and you get you get a, a real look into the culture mm-hmm. and well, yeah that well, what i liked about shran was he was only the second Andorian that we spoke with because uh, he reminded me of Shras from uh, Journey to Babel because Shras had a bit of fun about him because he 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 fucked with Spock because you know the, the Thelev was was an Orion so he doesn't count he was he was a, an Orion disguised as a, as a, an Andorian but Shras was the actual Andorian. And after Kirk has been has been taken out, and the and the Tellarite is dead, and Spock is like this isn't logical, and Shras is like, I suggest you you look for motives of passion or of gain. These are reasons for murder. My people are a violent race, but we had no quarrel with Captain Kirk. Apparently, Thelev did. You suggest the plot. 
How could it profit us to harm the captain? I do not know. There is no logic in Thelov's attack upon the captain. There is no logic in Gav's murder. Perhaps you should forget logic and devote yourself to motivations of passion or gain. Those are reasons for murder. Uh, and just, he doesn't get much time on screen, but what he's got, he uses beautifully. Mm-hmm. You know, he gives, he gives Spock this great advice with a little bit of a wink, like, boy, you Vulcans are idiots. <laughs> and yeah, they played that, you know, we, we got the prequel to that mm-hmm. with the pajama and all that stuff. So, yeah. yeah. So it would have been nice to have Shran. Okay. We, Did you we, like Shran? I mean, boiled it down. I, I, I like if you Shran. need to put a bow on it. <laughs> uh, Nick, do you have any thoughts? Let's move on to the next topic. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna flip through a few of the uh, actual story story ideas. Not you know some general. Hey, we're gonna have Shran, or we're gonna do Romulans, but um, some actual uh, more specific stories, though not with a whole lot of uh, details in them. I'm just gonna flip through a couple. Um, they did talk about doing a potential uh, two part episode uh, that would essentially be a prequel to. Um, uh, whatever the oh uh, cloudminders pre- yeah prequel to the cloudminders it would have done uh, like two part episode in uh, Stratos um, there was discussion of uh, a an an Enterprise uh, prequel to the animated series episode the Slaver Weapon where we would have been introduced to our first live action version of the Zinti or the Kazinti I don't know how you say the it. Kazinti Kazinti the Kazinti now possess our stasis box. Kazinti, sorry. The lizard cats. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, weren't they? They were from another franchise. Larry by, Niven. Thank you. Larry Niven's yeah. Kazin books. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. They would have uh, spent some time on uh, the construction of Starbase One, the first Starbase uh, constructed by Starfleet. Uh, and they also, yes, did want to do a return to the Mirror Universe uh, and check in on Empress Hoshisato. Uh, that was discussed as possibly um, like an arc of four or five episodes, but spread across the season rather than than all in a row. Hmm. Uh, Wasn't Braga uh, also trying to get it to be the whole season? Brandon Braga revealed via his Twitter account that before cancellation, there had been some talk about setting the entire fifth season in the Mirror Universe. Yes. Um, but the the one now here's uh, a story pitch that I, I want us to take a minute to uh, to talk about and see if it could have worked at all. Judith and Garfield Reeves Stevens, they pitch. I'm reading this directly from Memory Alpha. Pitched a story with Alice Krieger as a Starfleet medical technician who makes contact with the Borg from the second season episode Regeneration and becomes the Borg Queen. Wow, Nick, um, I want to hear your yeah. uh, your first reactions to to this story idea. Yeah, I would have liked. I mean, the thing about the Borg Queen is that it doesn't have to be um, an individual. Like, it doesn't matter who the body is, because the the consciousness of the Queen can go into any body. So it doesn't need to be Alice Creed. 
but I like that idea. I like the idea of the Borg being whatever it is, this hive mind, and then at a certain point, uh, a so-called queen emerges or develops. An origin story for that could have been interesting almost in a sense to justify the presence of a queen and i would have liked it if they you know if they're going to explore that idea if they go to the trouble of making it clear that you know the borg's conception of a queen is not the same as our conception of a queen you know it's not like in a insect colony where you know all the drones serve that one queen if it really is more because the Borg are just more interesting when they are truly a hive mind without one leader. So if they had developed it in such a way that she's more is more just sort of like a, you know, speaker for the house and, and not so much in control of things, that would have been interesting. I agree. I agree. Yep. Um, Rick, hmm? do you and anything additional to to add to that? I, no, I I agree. It would be nice to see a reason why a queen emerged, because, like like Neek said, you know the the initial concept of the Borg was so terrifying, because they weren't centralized. There was no face of them. It didn't matter how many of them you killed. There were always a thousand more to come up behind, and they were all the same being. And it, and that was the that was what was terrifying terif, terrifying terrifying about them. Uh, there are some who think that the Borg Queen was a huge mistake. I don't think it was a mistake. I think it made it made sense given that they tried with Locutus and that didn't work. So, you know, the Borg are like, well, the Federation is used to dealing with a face. And so that's the direction they went. They created, so we need a queen. I never had a particular problem with the queen, but it, it did... It it was the beginning of the of the pulling the fangs of the Borg, I think. Mm-hmm. So well, seeing w- where it came from might help kind of resharpen their their teeth a bit. Yeah. Though so I will point out that um, the the movie First Contact did retcon mm-hmm. the assimilation of Picard. So it wasn't we tried with Locutus to have a, a figurehead, a speaker, and it didn't work. So we form a queen. No, they. They use that movie to say, no, the queen has always been here. Yeah, you just I've haven't tried, seen her I've, before. I tried to kind of skip over that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but just... what's, what's the issue with that? If that's what they're going to do in universe, then I can understand if you have philosophical issues with the fact that there is a queen. But yeah, assuming that there is a queen, she has always been there. So it, it makes sense in, in universe to at least acknowledge that if you're going to create, I understand it's the chicken of the egg kind of thing, but mm-hmm. uh, I, here's the thing is I have no strong opinion about the Borg one way or another. They're just tech zombies. So anything you can do to make them a little bit more interesting. I thought the queen was a good addition. And the fact that first contact is regarded as probably the best next gen movie, I think speaks to that because mm-hmm. it was just a lot of, a lot of good, themes in there and it also gave trek a chance to trek because the board can't just be autonomous faceless tech zombies they have to need to find some kind of bridge to humanity because that's what trek is all about it's so humanity centric even the borg needs picard to be a bridge and an equal to humanity and it's just like all right if you if you got if you got a trek then trek i mean it, 
that's part of the trick that kind of annoys me a little bit, but it's within within their wheelhouse. So it never annoyed me. I thought it was I thought it was fine. Um, not having seen the majority of Voyager, I might have a very different opinion when I get to the end of Voyager. You will. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> so uh, so at least permit me my blissful ignorance at this point. Enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> and as for me, while I would have been interested to see them uh, give us a continuation of regeneration, which I thought was an interesting episode. It it potentially introduced some uh, some big plot holes, like how apparent the, the Borg don't seem to be familiar with humans when uh, the Enterprise D is sent to the Delta Quadrant, but now they've or they are introduced to humanity much earlier in season two of Enterprise. To see what they did with it in season five to uh, tell an origin story for the Queen, I, I would have been interested to see how they handled that. Uh, I would not, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't throw that idea out uh, out of hand. Uh, but if we are going to, if anyone is interested in any sort of origin story regarding the Borg, then I would 100% recommend to everyone to seek out David Mack's Star Trek Destiny trilogy and read all three. I did. Um, I'm not crazy about uh, the NXO2's fate in that book. That's all. Uh, yeah. But uh, other than that, I guess, um, I, I feel like what they're suggesting for the Borg, and maybe for a lot of this stuff, is that when Manny came on as the showrunner, he turned it into a true prequel series. And a lot of his arcs were centered around TOS ideas. Mm -hmm. And how did we get from this to that? And it's al almost like a natural evolution that if they were going to do a season five with sort of those marching orders, make it more of a prequel series, then why don't we also connect it to other things further on down the timeline that we all know about? So it, it's, it's pandering a little bit, but it could also do some good retconning backstory stuff that's real, you know, fan nerdy goodness. And speaking of backstory stuff, that takes us to the next story idea, which there, I think there's less meat on this particular one for us to discuss. Um, but there was discussion of revealing in season five that uh, T'Pol's father was, in fact, a Romulan agent posing as a Vulcan who then faked his own death. I like that idea. I like it because it, it makes... All right, a big problem I had with Enterprise was what they did to the Vulcans. That was... Mm. The that was the best part of Enterprise. In some, in some ways, yes. And, 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 and in later years, I've come to appreciate some of what they did. But a big problem I had with them was them saying that the, the, the Surak revolution happened during the time of Enterprise. And so the 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 I don't even know what word to use the 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 Vulcan devotion to logic was an offshoot was a, a splinter group. No, I don't. I didn't read that as as, as yeah. That. That's not what they were saying. They were saying that they had done that and they had increasingly lost their way, and it was a resurgence of those old ideals coming back to the fore, 
that's the way I saw it. And it was also like Manny's like like list number one, fix the Vulcans, because they were so out of character for the entire series. Yeah. So that, he that, needed that, a okay. way to bridge the Vulcans that we saw in seasons one through three. Right, I need to rewatch season four again then. Yeah, it, but it, it wasn't like, oh, this is now the Surak Revolution. It was like the Surak Revolution happened like millennia ago, but we've strayed from the path. Yeah. Oh, the, all right. The uh, the the path of of Surak, it, I viewed it as you know by the time we got to season four and we saw the the three episode arc of the of the Cyrenites, that essentially the you know Vulcan High Command had been kind of taken over by uh, to use an, an allegory for for our modern world bad faith politicians. Who would say no? We follow logic and you know you know teachings of Surak because you know everything is about logic and we're going to use that to only get what we want because that's what's important. But the Cyrenites, like to Paul's mother, and um, was it uh, was it Tepring? No, Tepring was, she... was um, was uh, Spock's. Oh, uh, right, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. To bring a child in uh, No, to yeah. bring does show up in, in oh, the Shirok trilogy. Yeah. She's a young woman. Yeah. I haven't seen Enterprise since it first aired, so I, the, the details are fuzzy. I don't yeah. remember the name of uh, Paul's mother, but uh, fantastic was, actress. Yeah. So, wait, didn't we see T'Pau at one point? Yes. Yeah, that's who I was trying to think of. It, it, yes. Well, um, then it was to Pow to bring the Spock's wife. To Pow yeah. is the one that was uh, I the then though and yeah, yes. I agree with the doctor. And, yeah, yeah, so and, yeah, so to Pow does show up in in it. Yeah, a, a younger version of to Pow shows up in that uh, Enterprise three parter as part of the um, the the true followers of Surak who are they're they're trying to gain power so they can bring Vulcan back to a place where logic is being used. You know, for for the benefit of all, mm-hmm. not just to keep the planet closed off and to keep the humans down, but they wanted to use their logic to to lift up everyone. I, that that's that's my rough interpretation. Having it's been a couple of years since my last rewatch of Enterprise, but that that's what it seemed. It was again bad faith politicians had uh, taken power on Vulcan. And it was those who truly wanted to follow Surak that wanted to bring things back to a, a better path. That's mm-hmm. where they were headed in season four. And they probably would have worked that a little bit more in season five. You may be witnessing the start of a new era, not only for Vulcan, but for Earth as well. The minister intends to pursue a less aggressive policy toward your people. The High Command will be dissolved. You'll no longer have us looking over your shoulder. It's time for Earth to stand on its own. We're ready. I um, would like to have seen them kind of pull back from the the Vulcans are all douchebags. <laughs> well, they they, they started that. That's yeah, that's they, what it was. Yeah, yeah, they were they were definitely planting those seeds with that three part episode. So we would I'm sure we would have seen the effects of that. Yeah. In season five, with Vulcans just not being hosers the whole time, and again, I, I feel like they took that uh, like a page from the next gen DS9 uh, book, 
with that in the sense that the Vulcans and Enterprise logic was whatever they said it was. Just like honor is whatever honor we is whatever point the to Klingons and say, wanted yeah, to be, yeah. At at the moment. Mm-hmm. So it reminded me very much of when uh Warp was just like, Well, the Empire will crumble and Jadzia was just like, then let it. Why are you defending? It's corrupt to the core. Like why it doesn't make a difference anymore what you call honor because nobody is adhering to these rules but you. So I thought it was an interesting way to bring that kind of wrinkle to the Vulcans. Mm-hmm. Um, had they been able to play that out more, um, it could have been it could have been pretty good. I don't know. I will. So we don't have people complaining uh, while they're listening. It was Ezri that said that and not Gen Zia. Oh, but, it was Ezri. Okay, I thought but, it was, that just seems like such a Jedzia thing to say. Ezri was channeling Jedzia at that point. Yes. Now, tell me what you think. Okay. I'm not sure you're going to like it. Tell me. I think that this situation with Gowron is a symptom of a bigger problem. The Klingon Empire is dying, and I think it deserves to die. You were right. I do not like it. Uh, moving on. We got another TOS connection. Um, someone had floated the idea of doing a story featuring um, a previous alias of Flint. With him, uh, from the sounds of it, um, using a previous alias of Abramson and being a famous Earth scientist with possible connections to... Uh, Either or Archer's father and or Zephram Cochran. As much as I like a deep cut, <laughs> I think that would have been just a little too too deep because uh Yeah, I don't remember who Flint is. I, I know who Requiem for Methuselah. Requiem thank you. I was trying to I was blanking on the on the title of the episode. Uh it's another that, one of uh we, there's help. a there's a there's a plague on another <laughs> planet. That's when this... uh, Kirk falls in love with an android named Rena. Oh, the one time that happens. That one time, yeah. <laughs> you know that one time, Nick. <laughs> there, there's there's a plague on a planet, and the only place they can get the 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 yes, the no, stuff I, 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 yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. As a as as a fan, I dig the idea. I I think that that works a lot better as an idea than as an actual realized episode well here's the thing i think if it was a realized episode how they wrote flint into the story and the fact that he just happened to be flint it could have been an amazing arc or whatever and oh by the way this is who this guy is Mm. it's it's no different i think it it, it couldn't have been worse than carol kane being in vermont in 2022 (laughs) or something true in disco (laughs) so or a strange new world or whatever it was i you know i they play with that a lot, so I feel like maybe that's a rehash of this idea. It's been a long time, uh, I, long enough that I I just do not road. remember. I do not rem- remember um, Requiem for Methuselah. I'm I'm skating right over that one, Rick. Um, is there an aspect of uh, Flint in Requiem for Methuselah where um, he avoids? talking about himself or his background there's a quote in this article about the disaster of intervention is that no. an aspect of flint's character that he he doesn't reveal who yes. he is to others 
Well, he doesn't yeah. at first, but once they figure out who he is, he's like, yeah, I was all these guys. Yeah. <laughs> I was right. Van, Van Gogh and Mozart yeah. and whatever. But, but, and but he, he doesn't lead with 23rd century artist that. here that we've never heard of. <laughs> him. He doesn't lead with that. He keeps that under wraps. Un- yeah. Oh, no, no. Un- he's very, he's, yeah. Until he's discovered. Right, right, this, right. And, and but this, he's got this shit enterprise. from all of these people all around his house. And, and yeah. Spock figures it out pretty easily. Physically human, but not human. These are earlier versions of Raina, Jim. She's an android. Created here by my hand. Here the centuries of loneliness were to end. Your collection of Leonardo da Vinci masterpieces, Mr. Flint. They appear to have been recently painted on contemporary canvas with contemporary materials. And on your piano, a waltz by Johannes Brahms, an unknown work in manuscript, written in modern ink, yet absolutely authentic, as are your paintings. I am Brahms. And Da Vinci. Yes. How many other names shall we call you? Solomon, Alexander, Lazarus, Methuselah, Merlin, Abramson, a hundred other names you do not know. You were born? In that region of Earth later called Mesopotamia, in the year 3834 BC, as the millennia are reckoned. I was Akarin, a soldier, a bully, and a fool. I fell in battle, pierced to the heart, and did not die. Um, apparently this, ep- this arc or episode from Enterprise would have had flocks discovering that Flint is not a human as he claims and figures out, you know, a bit more of what Flint is about. And that is what leads Flint to trying to keep it hidden. I don't know how they would have worked that in, but it was here in the article. So I wanted to, I wanted to share that part. Yeah, no, I, I, I dig all of that. I just don't, I mean, Flint was uh, Requiem for Methuselah was a, a, a third season episode wasn't even a particularly good one. It wasn't a bad. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like, you know, Spock's brain bad, but it just, it was just one of those ones that it's real easy to forget. Spock's brain was far superior to Requiem for Methuselah. <laughs> <laughs> brain and brain. What is brain? Uh, uh, but you know, we can, we can go down that rabbit hole all year long. <laughs> yeah, We're going to do yeah. a separate podcast. Just you yeah. and me talking about that. Okay. Well, <laughs> you, you, you guys go ahead and knock out a versus episode. Yeah. On, yeah, on exactly. One. We'll, we'll, we'll rank versus... every episode of TOS against Fox brain and see, there you go. That, see where it that. actually stands in the pecking order because it's above Requiem. I'm going to tell you that. And what of Lazarus? Oh, he's beneath, uh, well, Fox yeah, brain. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you get no argument on me. From that, on that that's one. your mini series. <laughs> That Star Trek podcast presents Spock's brain versus death match. <laughs> um, now I had mentioned flocks. That's another uh, idea. This it, it's only one sentence. Um, Manny Cotto did say that he uh, would have liked for season five to have visited Denobula. That I would have been totally down. Yeah, why not? Of course. I, I would have found that a fascinating episode to watch because it was, it, I've, I've talked about how much I, I respect what they did with the character of flocks. Um, with uh, introducing the concept on Denobula of multiple marriages mm-hmm. and their family structures, 
if they had gone to Denobia and, and shown us an entire society that lived that way, that would have been really fun and interesting to see. And I might have been more interested in uh, keeping an ear out for like the general public reaction to that storyline. Hmm. I mean, but Trek has, has dabbled in that with alien cultures before with jogging boner planet that was going to kill Wesley. <laughs> So, I mean, we, we've seen promiscuous societies. At least this would have given us a a framework in which a society functions with with a polyamorous ideal. And mm -hmm. I, I liked that idea because it's funny. If I was reading an, uh, <laughs> an interview with Billingsley about his idea of flocks, and he always thought that flocks would be like a very devoted you know, family man, whatever. And then he said, but what do I know? They might make them, you know, <laughs> somebody with 16 wives who beats them, <laughs> you know? I mean, I mean, they did make him somebody with multiple wives. <laughs> Optimism, Captain. And, you But know, the wives had multiple husbands, too. Yes, I like, exactly. I like that concept. Yeah. And I like that... <laughs> I, I, I loved when Flox's wife hit on Trip. And then Trip tells Flocks, you know, your your wife came on to me, and Flocks is like, "Dude, you are so lucky." <laughs> and Trip's like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> it just with almost everything coming after Trip says, "I can't do that. I I I, I can't accept her advances. That that's not no, okay." No, that's with not me. what he says. He's like, "I can't sleep with another man's wife because she's your property, don't you know?" No, yeah. That, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that is more more what he says, and and pretty much everything that Flax says after that, it all boils down to <laughs> your loss, brother. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then Flax and his wife are like humans. <laughs> said this was a bad idea, but I I think it's the right thing to do. What's that, Faisal? I mean, Mrs. Flax is a lovely woman. And, and she's very smart. She knows more about quantum optics than anyone I've ever met. She is remarkable. Remarkable. Yeah, she sure is. Also something else? Yeah, there is. You gotta understand, I've been a perfect gentleman. Absolutely nothing's happened. She's trying to... She's, she's, um, making advances, if you know what I mean. Sexual advances? I'm afraid so. Has she offered to give you a rose petal bath? No, 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 nothing like that. Oh, any man would be a fool to ignore the romantic overtures of a healthy, denobulan woman. <sighs> Don't you find her attractive? Oh, sure. I mean, no, she's your wife. What does that have to do with it? She's your wife? Oh, nonsense. Nonsense. You're too concerned with human morality. I thought you wanted to learn about uh, new cultures. Isn't that why you joined Starfleet? Well, of course it is. But I was brought up believing you don't play around with another man's wife. I don't think I'm ever going to change my mind about that. As you wish. Your laws. I certainly hope it's not another four years until I see you again. 
So do I. But remember, your other wives are anxious to see you too. Commander Tucker assures me he'll keep your beautiful microscope in perfect running order. As his doctor, I hope you'll keep Commander Tucker in perfect running order. Perhaps that'll motivate me to visit more often. Mm -hmm. It's a shame you two didn't get to know each other better. Hmm. Well, I've got to get back to my warp engine. The plasma's running a little hot. I know how it feels. Mm -hmm. Pleasure meeting you. Humans. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, now, there's one more bit on this list. I'm curious if anyone has heard this before. But the last, the last bit that I'm going to uh, bring up for discussion, reading from Memory Alpha, in a 2009 interview, British writer and producer... Russell T. Davies, a showrunner for the British yeah. series Doctor Who, said that he had considered proposing a crossover between Doctor Who and Star Trek. But Enterprise was canceled before the idea could be pursued. I love Doctor Who. Thank God. I love Star Trek. Never the twain shall meet. <laughs> well, they are, there are comics where they have. There are comics yeah. where they, yeah, but there's yeah. also comics where the and Transformers show up in Star Trek, so. <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, it, it's not beyond the pale. Um, which doctor would it have been at that point? Russell Davies, would it have been Tennant? Probably would have been Eccleston, I think, if, if I'm... No. If I'm, Eccleston was just on for that one season, so... Yeah. I don't know well, that he would have lasted long enough for something like that well, to when, come together. When, when, was, when was Enterprise... When would season five have been? I don't know. That is... A fair question. I got to go back and I got to bring up the the air dates Eccleston here. was 2005, right? Um, Eccleston was 2005 and Enterprise ran from 2001 to May of 2005. So it likely would have been Eccleston or Tennant. If he was thinking about it, yeah, it could have been either one, Eccleston or Tennant. The thing on is, when you when think about when, when they when they film these things, Eccleston already would have would have been out by the time yeah. they went to production on something like that. It but, would have it would have been David Tennant. Mm. You know, you might as well have the Enterprise fighting the Death Star. It just the universes are not <laughs> compatible. Well, the thing is, you might as well have Harry Potter on with his magic wand because exactly. that's what the Sonic is. I mean, it's just essentially a magic wand. So, I mean, they give it a tech sound, but it's mm -hmm. just Alakazam, you know, uh, which I don't know how a screwdriver does everything that screwdriver does. But I, I, the, the, I don't know if you saw the, the, the 50th anniversary. I did. What are you going to do? What are you going to build, build a chest of drawers? Yeah, at? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now I saw it, and it's just like it was. It was a cop to the fact that they it had become just the cure all. It was just like yeah. the you know the crutch of the entire series, but they still haven't really backed away from it. That no, much. they haven't. But yeah. mm -hmm. at least someone acknowledged it. Yeah. But no, I, I think in a you know in comics you can do a lot of stuff you can't necessarily do in live action. I was about to say for real. All right, none of this shit is real. <laughs> but I, you, you are correct in that the tone of and not just the tone of stories but but the tone of different franchises don't always mesh well you know I've, the funny thing terrified. is i've been terrified to get my hands on and read the novel where the crew of the enterprise d meets the x-men this is real 
this has been written. Professor X, yeah, right? Yeah. So they had to do it. But can, okay, maybe you can't see Alonzi on Enterprise, but look at him on Pike's Enterprise. He would fit right, right yeah, into Strange New World. <laughs> All right? Yeah. So it, never say never. <laughs> it, in the same way that, you know, uh, the notion of a musical episode seemed just in- incomprehensible. But Star Trek found a way to pull it off. amazing scott has has an amazing voice and and this the sad thing that was also discussed a musical episode for enterprise was also discussed that was on the list as a way and they would have given him an opportunity to showcase um scott bacula's singing voice john billingsley's singing voice and linda parks dancing how did they know that my wife took it all and i'm not researching roles how did they know Ziggy, if you hear me, take me far, far from here. Let me leap to 89, that was a better year. I miss my old Camaro and my mansion in Van Nuys. Wish I still hung with Nash Bridges, played poker with a fall guy. Oh, Ziggy, can you see my tears? Ziggy! And the sad thing is, as much as I... I have a new hashtag. (laughs) Linda Park Dancing. (laughs) Um, If they did a Doctor Who Star Trek crossover, it's not like I wouldn't watch it. Yeah, no, honestly, with everything, it depends on how they would have done it. Um, But it would have been the biggest event of, I'm sorry, of, of the aughts. We'd still be talking about it had they done it, good or bad. Good we'd or bad, be yeah. talking good. about it. Yeah. Yep. Even because more it, so if it was awful. <laughs> it, it would have been either brilliant or it would have been abysmal. There's yeah. no way something like that is going to find it in between. Yeah. Now, when I mentioned that Enterprise was canceled before those ideas could be pursued, Neek's response was, thank God. So, Neek, talk. I just don't like Doctor Who. Sorry. We have found the witch. Might we burn? I mean, the more I think about it, the more you're right. It it, it could kind of work because Star Trek, in its own way, is just as magical as I mean. I take it back. It's not as magical as Doctor Who. It's not that dumb. It- in some ways, I mean, transporters are magic, just like a sonic screwdriver is. Transporters can fix things that they ought not be able to fix, but yeah, they do it. it's it's more fantasy than science fiction. Well, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I just I don't know. I just find Doctor Who is so silly and dumb, and mm, it's a kids show, and. 
Uh, although the animated series was a kid's show, so and Prodigy's a kid's show, so yeah, I don't know. I guess you could convince me. And indeed, if it did happen, if there was a crossover episode, of course I would watch it. So Koth, his eyes open! So which, which regular cast member of Enterprise would have left to become a companion? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I think it would have been that, that douchebag in engineering that replaced Trip. I don't remember his name. Or it would have been Seth MacFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Sometimes I forget he was there, but he was there. And yeah, I can't remember the name of that, whatever that loser was that. Uh, he got so corrupted by those green women. Yeah, yeah by the Orion <laughs> women. Yeah. <laughs> Just immediately, this ship sucks. I love you, and this ship sucks. Ah, he was very easily swayed. Yeah, yeah. And. That takes us to the end of the list. The only thing that remained um, was a mention that the uh, the refit for the NX-01 likely would have been incorporated uh, come season five. It's gorgeous. I mean, it's been, it, it's been on the internet for years, and it's beautiful. Yeah. And I really wish that had had a chance to happen. It, uh. the, the first time it, for it, on the off chance that listeners might not be familiar. Um, it was what was it drexler drexler designed the nx01 right yeah probably yeah yeah uh uh the the ship designer or the model designer for the nx01 doug drexler had designed it in such a way that would allow for um a secondary hull the star drive section to be added on to the underside so it wouldn't just it wouldn't be just a saucer section with nacelles behind it but uh, an actual, you know, saucer star drive with nacelles coming off the back, and would have been edging toward the look of uh, the of one seven zero one that we are familiar with from future seasons. No bloody A, B, C, or D. It would have given it an entire downstairs. <laughs> a whole, a whole ass downstairs. <laughs> Um, it, if you are not familiar with this, if you haven't heard this before, then, then just, you know, run a Google search, uh, probably, you know, enterprise season five and X01 uh, re refit. Yeah. 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 And it showed, it showed up in Picard too. So yes, it did. Yep. Yes, it did. When, when they went to the, the fleet museum, mm -hmm. uh, the, the enterprise from enterprise that we see docked at that station, it is the refit version. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it's and, canon now. Yeah, it's pretty. Um, I I so, like I like the old school NX01. I I really like that ship. Oh I yeah, never I dislike that ship. I, I, I love that design. I I thought it was great looking. But then when I saw the refit, I I didn't say, oh, I like this so much better. My only thought was, this is a brilliant evolution, and I wish yeah. that we could have seen it. Which mm. is which is why I like the Ambassador class more than I like the Galaxy class. We have found the witch! Might we burn our And again, this is a whole other episode we could do if, if anyone wants to go down that rabbit hole with me. But uh, we've yeah, been when, down enough rabbit holes tonight. I think. When you when you get your what, what is it your your what do you call it your starship wonk hat? Starship wonk, yeah. Starship wonk. <laughs> um, okay. So last bit, I'll just throw it out to the crowd. Um, do you guys have any uh, aspects of Enterprise or or aspects of the franchise in general that you would have liked to see examined in 
a theoretical or a hypothetical Enterprise Season 5 that we have not discussed? Um, if I can start, I'd like to see a hypothetical Season 0 that was supposed to be Season 1 in which it was basically an Earthbound show of them building the Enterprise, kind of like a NASA drama, mm. like For All Mankind. Hello, Moon fans. Welcome to Moon Show, a For All Mankind podcast. I think that would have been very interesting to set the scene for this and make the appearance of the NX-01 more august, more of an event instead of there it is, that's the first Warp 5 ship. And I, I like what we got with that, but I think it would have been so much more interesting and grounding to do it from inception instead of starting at completion. It's been a long road Getting from there to here It's been a long time um, and yeah, and just anything in season five that would have been like the Romulan Wars and anything leading up to the formation of uh, the United Federation of Planets, I think would have been very welcome. Unfortunately, you know, had they had seven seasons, they might have pulled that out. But they got, you know, cut off at the knees, so. I might have gone back even further and have like a whole season about um, like right after the Vulcans land and mm. and how society changes once everyone realizes that they're no longer alone in the universe. That could have been interesting. Yeah, but uh, Riker, Riker summed it up for us in 14 seconds. So <laughs> we didn't need that. We already saw it. <laughs> I, I, or, or a rather than uh perhaps like a a first season or a flashback season of enterprise do a whole new series that would have been set there and <clears throat> it it kind of feels like neek as as the host of and a super fan of for all mankind hosting our podcast that discusses it that story idea definitely smacks up for all mankind yeah. Because it wouldn't have been a whole lot of, it wouldn't have been, you know, spacefaring. It wouldn't have been trekking through the stars. It would have been, let's look at Earth society and how does it change now that, uh, extraterrestrial life has been introduced uh, and I'm not saying that's a bad thing I think it, it's brilliant I, as you mention it and I say if they pitch a spinoff series set on earth in Bozeman and spreading out from there I'd, I'd watch that in a second I think that sounds brilliant I would have liked to have seen Enterprise without Rick Berman mm. well wouldn't we like to see all of Star Trek without Rick Berman? Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> or Roddenberry, for that matter. Well, <laughs> my, my biggest problem with Or Enterprise, this guy or that guy. And they're all, it's all guy. Mm. <laughs> um, the problem with Enterprise that I've always had, and it was clear even when it was on the air, this isn't like Sour Grapes retrospect. It was so clear that the interference from the suits of we need we need to appeal to the 18 to 20, 25, whatever demographic. So you get like, you know, the stupid decontamination gel and 
and you know I, I, um, you know Berman thought he was protecting Roddenberry's legacy and you know I spent most of my life worshipping Gene Roddenberry that was not a legacy that needed protecting you know he came up with a great idea but other people fleshed it out and made it work that's another podcast. The sins that of is another podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm trying yeah, to think of a way to wrap this up. We're all we're all with you. I, yep. Enterprise season one was pretty good. Season two, I enjoyed. Season three, I hated the whole Zindi War arc. I hated. I know you disagree with me, Scott. <laughs> My favorite season. <laughs> Duck season. Wabbit season. Duck season. Wabbit season. Then season four, I think, got back to where it needed to be, but it was too little too late and it got canceled. Mm -hmm. I would love to see a and continuation of what they were as doing. As someone who binged the entire series, season four seemed like exaggerated fanfic. This, mm -hmm. they, they were finally doing their own thing, and then all of a sudden, everything has to dovetail into TOS. Why? <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, there are many points of view. Yeah. Many points of view. Yeah. And and granted, I haven't watched, I only watched the show once when it, when it aired. I really need to rewatch it. Make sure that you add the sins of Rick Berman to our Google Doc of future <laughs> topics to tackle on on an episode. Um, an episode. <laughs> we 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 gotta try to keep the reins on you a little bit, Rick. An episode. Never. <laughs> and with that, I think that's gonna bring us to the end of this episode of that Star Trek podcast. Two topics for the price of one. Uh, this has been a lovely discussion, and I always enjoy sharing the mics with all of you. Who are you? Well, you are Rick. Where can people find you? You can find me on here. That's Star Trek Podcast. You can find me on, finally find me blah, 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 on Moonshow. 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 Uh, you can also find me occasionally on Captain Gain Show. Uh, you can also find me on Cosmic Potato. All right, Neek, where can people find you? You can find me as the host of Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. A For All Mankind podcast. <laughs> and you can go to my website, superanemic.com, to read my comic recaps of Star Trek episodes. I'm currently working on season three of TNG. And finally, one of our favorite guests, Christopher D. Philippus, where can people find you online? You can find me as a host of the Quantum Leap podcast. Uh, we are currently on an indefinite hiatus because reasons. So these days you can find me in my garage playing with my radios or sitting in my favorite chair with my Bichon in my lap reading a book. As for myself, uh, you can find me not only here, but making occasional appearances on Cosmic Potato, Captain Game Show, Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. Moon Show. Oh, come on, guys. Get it together. We, this is the third time. <laughs> <laughs> and also, I can be found on the uh, the first, I believe, first two episodes of the newest edition to the Infinite Potato Alliance. What's your headcanon? Hosted by some other Madison. When is it? When is episode two coming out? I, I don't know. I'm not my brother's keeper. <laughs> In addition to uh, my podcasting, you can feel free, please, to visit my website, www.planetrisecreative.com, or find me on Facebook. The Facebook group is Planet Rise Creative, and you can see the graphic artwork and graphic design work that I do for fun and profit. And with that, 
this episode comes to a close. Listeners, thank you very much for listening, for downloading, hopefully subscribing to this podcast. Uh, leave a review, leave a comment, find us on Facebook and join in the conversations. If you have topics that you want us to tackle, let us know. we got plenty of time before Discovery Season 5 begins. So with that, thank you again, and we will see you guys next time. Good night. Thank you for joining us for this episode of That Star Trek Podcast. You can contact us on Facebook and Twitter, or you can send us an email at thatstartrekpodcast at gmail.com. Help the show grow by giving us a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcatcher. Be sure to join us again next time on That Star Trek Podcast. Optimism, Captain.